Hey everyone, I'm Nadia. And I'm Ella. And this is Nutter with your Sabs. <laughs> In this podcast, we'll be discussing self-love, body image, and start conversations about taboo issues that matter to students. I'm your welfare and equality officer at Newcastle University Students' Union. And I'm the editor of The Courier, the student newspaper here at Newcastle. We are launching this podcast as part of our Fill Yourself February campaign. And hopefully by the end of this campaign, you can find out how to be kinder to yourself and your body. So we're going to start off with a little bit of about us section. So I think it's only right that if we're trying to encourage others to start having conversations about their body image, that we kind of start with ourselves. So my relationship with my body has been a relatively positive one. So as a child and in my early teens, I never really had a body which made me stand out. I fitted in except for my skin colour um, as I'm half Indian but went to a predominantly white school. So the main thing that made me stand out was my dark facial hair and I used to get picked on for having sideburns, a darker complexion than others. Um, and I also used to get picked on for um, my facial hair. <laughs> so I had like hair on my upper lip and basically it was something that obviously boys would take the mick out of but at the time I just saw like a solution of just getting rid of it so it didn't really it wasn't a huge thing for me but I think it's definitely something that the more I'm speaking to other people from the South Asian community it's something that they experience too but I think being in a predominantly white school definitely affected that more than it would have in a more diverse environment so yeah my my existence was pretty straightforward I'd say until I turned about 16 so puberty really hit me um, and I gained weight um, I didn't see that as a negative thing but some family members around me expressed concern regarding my weight gain um, and this was super disorientating as I didn't see an issue with my body so this narrative still lives on to this day and it's a struggle that I still have I think that disordered and restrictive eating in my family is normalized and that is something that I struggle with as I'm really happy in my own skin and as much as obviously we, we don't not every day is perfect not every day do I wake up feeling fabulous or flawless or anything like that and um, I'd probably say that those days are a few and far between but in terms of just accepting my body for what it is and what it does and what it allows me to do I absolutely value it and think about its functionality way more than its appearance I guess which is definitely a privilege because you know it's a privilege to be able to not think about the function of your body I guess um or the appearance of it and just kind of live as a vessel <laughs> um and to find your value elsewhere I guess I think that's definitely a privileged thing to be able to have so yeah, so it's something I'm definitely still grappling with. I'm still grappling how to have those conversations, especially because I'm super passionate about body positivity, the body positivity movement. Um, and also I really want to learn more about things. I'm really passionate about busting myths, especially surround, surrounding like BMI and things like that. And I'm just really passionate about making sure that people don't see their appearance as the most interesting thing about them yeah so I'll pass on over to Ella to tell us a little bit about your journey please thank you very much Nadia that was super insightful as always yeah so the reason that I wanted to do this campaign is because I've also had my fair share of rocky relationship with my body as I think a lot of people of my kind of age have um 
so I grew up pretty carefree about like my the way I looked I wasn't too kind of stressed about my body it wasn't a big factor on my radar one my big standout memory when it started to kind of like unfold in my mind was when we had a kind of someone came into our school to talk about kind of body positivity and like body image issues but it was weird for me because she kind of framed it in this way where it was like oh you know those massive thighs like don't worry about those those stretch marks they're fine they're beautiful like don't feel bad about yourself and I was like I wasn't even thinking about myself like I'm just I'm just thinking about like you know kid things and playing like club penguin and I was just like what's going on um but yeah I kind of continued with a very normal relationship with my body uh for a while um and then I started to kind of hit puberty later on and then um kind of towards the beginning of sixth form a level year um I very suddenly started to kind of become just sort of become very aware of my body and what I was eating um and I think because I have quite an obsessive personality and because it had never been something that I'd really thought about much before I kind of was quite excited um I remember I lost a little bit of weight and I was like what's this new like form of control that I have this is so interesting and kind of cool and I've never explored it before um and I went down a kind of very fast downward spiral with um what I was eating um and I ended up sort of having to be admitted to hospital um and yeah it's been a kind of rocky journey of recovery I guess since then um but yeah I'd say over the last like three two three years I've really managed to like find a kind of peace with it again um which is why I'm keen to like talk about what helped me and what you know help other people through that journey um I guess I'd say as well that I feel like having gone through the whole process of recovery I'm in quite not a privileged position but I'm I've been able to kind of reach a state where I'm above the whole diet culture thing because I I just know that it doesn't work um I, I've I've tried it and it just doesn't work um so it makes me upset when I see other people um in smaller ways submitting to all the messages and the lies that we're told um even if it doesn't get into as severe state as it happened to me it's it's made me realize just how bullshit it all is basically um and that's something I want to spread <laughs> yeah I think that's so important because I think that's something that people often don't think about people don't even realize that certain habits and certain ways of speaking to each other and ourselves just isn't really normal and I think that's going to be a super positive part of this campaign is to raise awareness of the negative things about the body positivity um, and kind of just general body image and to really try and create a campaign that is inclusive but that also speaks about the realities of body positivity or body neutrality or whatever works for you really so yeah thank you so much for sharing that with us Ella no problem at all we're gonna be going on to kind of a bit of history about the body positivity movement sort of how it started um and how we got to where we are today and then where we think we're going to go from here just to kind of contextualize some of the things that we're going to be talking about um over the course of the campaign really so first of all just starting with like a kind of definition of what body positivity is generally considered to mean so body positivity is accepting the body that you have alongside all its fluctuations in weight and shape over your lifetime it's the understanding that your worth and what's going on with you physically are two separate entities and that no matter what's happening inside or outside or to your body you're still as whole and as worthy a person as you ever were in a nutshell 
the oldest detectable origins date back to the Victorian dress reform movement. In this movement, women discourage other women from using extreme corsets or body mutilation to fit the standard of extremely petite waist or hourglass figure. The Victorian dress reform movement was very much about preaching acceptance of women's bodies as they were. Um, it also argued for women to not hide their bodies underneath layers of fabric in overly, overly elaborate dresses. Um, and a big kind of movement of the time was um, arguing for their right to wear trousers. Um, which obviously is quite normalised nowadays, but um, that was kind of very taboo back in the day. Um, so that was, yeah, that was the kind of earliest movement of this kind. So now I'm going to move on to the 1960s, which I think as far as our research shows in terms of the modern day body positivity movement, that's when things really started to change. So the swinging 60s, um, entered a new movement to end fat shaming. So Lou Lauderback, triggered the movement by publishing the essay, More People Should Be Fat, which critiqued the way fat people were treated in America and the West. He explained the discrimination that he felt in the workplace. So he advocated for plump women to appear in magazines. Two years later, in 1962, the National Association to Advance Fat Acceptance was founded. So we're just gonna call this NAFA for short because <laughs> It's such a long word, but it's so important that we at least say it once. So um, this organization called for the re-education of what it means to be overweight. It discouraged doctors from labeling any patient that is overweight as unhealthy. So NAFA promoted a healthy at every size model. Health was not to be measured by the number on a scale, but rather vital signs such as blood pressure, heart rate, cholesterol, and other things such as diet and exercise. So the NAAFA um, were argued to be too feminist, which is just, it's something that is so, I don't know, it's kind of funny to me personally, and I'm sure it is to you too, Ella, because I think in fact, what we found, what we find throughout just historical movements in general, those who are seen as too radical, actually it ends up becoming the norm or at least largely accepted. So I think this is another one of those instances really. So NAFA argued that these measurements of general wellness were better indicators for overall health than weight and body mass index. Going to 1970s, um, in 1973, NAFA released their groundbreaking Fat Manifesto. Um, this demanded equal rights for fat people in all areas of life. It also called out the reducing industries, aka diet culture. So there was some criticism at the time that main, mainstream fat activism, oft, often associated with NAFA, was seen to shut out the voices of people of colour. They thought trying to take on more than one issue at a time might dilute their message. So in the 1980s, the movement was growing and it was going global. So in the UK, the London Fat Women's Group was formed in the mid 80s and was active for years. People began arguing in the media more often about the scam of the diet industry. And um, so we'll come more onto that later. But I think that what's so interesting here is that relationship between capitalism and the diet industry and how those two things are synonymous, you know, the world, the fitness industry, the diet industry, just all of that kind of image-based approach to monetizing people's insecurities is literally one of the biggest industries. It's worth billions and billions of pounds. And I think that's something that people don't always realize when they're feeding into this is that people 
would be a lot poorer. <laughs> there would be a lot of companies that would go out of business if we all learned to love ourselves. So actually learning to love yourself is a radical act. It's a political act. And it's something that is really, really powerful to literally changing your life and slowly, one by one, changing the world, I think. Oh, Nadia, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to the 90s. Um, in 1996 was the founding of the Body Positivative uh, in 1996 was the founding of The Body Positive by Connie Sobjak and Elizabeth Scott. Sobjak lost her sister and struggled with an eating disorder herself in her teen years. The organisation's mission includes professional and more effective training for treatment and making, the, uh, making a better world for women to live in, with fewer standards to follow from the media. So The Body Positive is a national organisation that offers a variety of resources and programming to teach and inspire youth and adults to value their health, unique beauty and identity so that they can use their vital resources of time, energy and intellect and intellect to make positive changes in their own lives and in the world. So moving on to the early 2000s, um, by this point, the movement had spread even more quickly due to the rise of internet and social media. Um, fat people had began to build online communities they had previously found in in-person activist groups and rallies. Um, so they moved from AOL groups and NAFA's online forums to Tumblr and Instagram um, over the years. Uh, hashtags and Facebook groups helped people to connect in new ways. Um, and this was around the time, the time that the term hashtag body positivity was popularized as we know it today. Um, and alongside that were several smaller hashtag movements like hashtag free the nipple had surfaced to normalize and celebrate the female body and health at every, healthy at every size um, and Jamila Jamil's eye way. So at this point, the movement has gone global. The body positivity movement has blossomed into the various movements and the campaigns, such as the Everybody with Iskra campaign, hashtag Airy Real, and other movements that are now encouraging men of all shapes and sizes to join the body positivity movement on a global scale. So now hitting the mainstream, we're going to move on to body positivity today um, and kind of where it's going from here. So this is a quote by Body Posi Panda, who's one of the kind of, I guess, the faces of the body positivity movement as, as it's seen today. Um, got a very big Instagram page and following. Um, and she says, I think the biggest change that the body positivity, that body positivity has created is this widespread cultural awareness of things that very few people were talking about five or 10 years ago. Um, so there have been scientific breakthroughs, such as the fact that your weight is not as determined by what you eat as was previously thought, um, and also showing that what you eat is determined by socioeconomic factors as much as kind of, I think, the myth that is like entirely to do with yourself and your self-control. Um, as it became more popularized, body positivity became a bit of a buzz phrase and its original meaning started to become blurred. Um, some body positive believers say that weight loss talking should be included in the body positivity messaging um, as losing weight makes people feel better about themselves, which I think is kind of like a flipping of the original purpose of it. And it's kind of a way of twisting it out of context to make it more in line with like what's socially acceptable. Even major diet companies um, have now started describing themselves as body positive. Um, I guess just to kind of jump onto that bandwagon and to sort of sell more products under the guise of being 
like in tune with this trendy new movement that's actually so interesting in terms of losing weight makes people feel better about themselves as like companies lots of their justification for going along with those kinds of messaging and trying to include rhetoric that isn't meant to be part of the body positivity movement to be part of it so where body positivity is going today I think has got very intertwined with as happens with a lot of movements something that's become trendy um and it's kind of followed a similar path to like environmentalism in in some senses I I I think it's known as greenwashing they play to this like positive movement that was originally radical and kind of seep it into the narrative that's always been there yeah absolutely and I think that's something we've massively seen the rise of with the pandemic because what's happened is so some people tend to have get you people generally have either gained or lost weight and it really you do tend to fit in one or the other and some people might not be aware of it you know if you are kind of more on the self-love journey or if you are kind of more towards the body neutrality movement but I think that the difficulty is is that you're constantly flooded with these images when you go on social media of before and after photos or like I've started my fitness journey this lockdown and and then there's always this kind of thing of like what have you done you know what have you done this lockdown and this idea of productivity and so many people have seen productivity as something where you are productive in terms of your body so whether that means exercising a lot more whether that means taking up new hobbies and things like that but I think it's actually shifted the movement massively because something that was rapidly growing and um, we've actually seen a lot more influences now they're stuck in their homes they're looking for like ways to make money and a fitness plan is like a guaranteed income or like a fitness dvd or like a fitness or like a diet you know if you're like a famous influencer like especially like the ex-love islanders they often their lives and their bodies and their appearance is so packaged packageable and sellable like it is they're completely ready-made products you know for young naive consumers who are insecure and who want to feel better about themselves and I think what I my dream to move away from is the idea that we have to look more like others who we admire and all this kind of things and instead start to own what makes us different and also what makes us us (laughs) and it sounds so cheesy and cliche but I think the more that people are pushing towards all looking a certain way or whatever like you're actually one losing your individuality but two you're not embracing yourself for everything that's wonderful about you and that and I'm not talking about appearance there but I'm talking about like every part of us like every single part of us is completely unique and different and we're made that way like and I love that post on Instagram I don't know if you've seen it but it's been circulating a lot recently where it's like we could all eat exactly the same and exercise exactly the same and all look completely different and we all would because our bodies are such complex beings and people think so highly of the external but in fact we have no idea like the power of our internal so I think that's something that I've noticed especially with the pandemic like this fitspiration and all that stuff it's actually just as toxic if not more so than like those negative that negative rhetoric of new year um new me a new you and whatever else do you know what I mean I think it's well, just yeah I, I I saw a kind of double page spread I, in I think it was the times I just opened this newspaper 
and there was a whole double page spread on like how to burn the calories that you're like eating when sitting at home all these everyday activities of, like how to burn calories so that you can eat lunch basically and I went off on one on Twitter and I was like how like this was towards the beginning of the pandemic and I was like how when we're sitting at home is it your priority to like decide to look a certain way for what for like zoom I don't know so I went off on one I thought it was ridiculous and there have been so many messages like that it's kind of been exacerbated um by the whole new year rhetoric as well um and I just think like now more than ever should be a time to just be a little bit compassionate to ourselves and fucking have a slice of cake because <laughs> what else is there in our, life, in our lives to bring us joy at the moment to be honest and I think um, that's the thing like it's so normal it's like we are human beings that like, we are programmed to enjoy food we're programmed to find comfort in like food and in whatever our kind of interests are or whatever makes us feel good or whatever tastes good and that's what people don't understand like we it is way more normal to try and comfort yourself and self-soothe than it is to deny yourself pleasures in life and but with the way that society has gone and shifted and changed and repeated constantly to us that we should deny ourselves those things or that it's naughty, or that it's, you know, oh, I shouldn't do that, or that's what's normalized. And that's what I think, I think the body positivity movement for me personally is moving away from that being the norm, moving away from the norm being negative self-talk and and kind of profiting from insecurities and all of that. The future- well, because it's, it's, not, it's not the norm based on like our own bodies. And I think it's actually a way of unlearning what your body naturally wants to do and a lot of things that have helped me in the past is kind of reverting back to like I guess intuitive eating is very much to do with retuning with your like natural hunger cues and eating when you're hungry and stopping when you're full and kind of relearning what I guess you do naturally as a child um in terms of like you're not going to you know want chocolate every meal I mean maybe you will <laughs> maybe in lockdown um, but like naturally you're gonna just eat what your body needs when you, you need it and this whole kind of these rules and all these different like diets that get become trendy at different times really kind of confuse that natural balance I think with yourself that's something that I'm seeing more and more of is the intuitive eating kind of books and all that kind of stuff but I want that to be the norm. Like, I would love that to be the norm of us just being able to have what we want when we want to have it and that those feelings of guilt just not really being a thing anymore. And I think that it's, I think we're getting there slowly, I think, but it is still way more radical to eat what you want when you want and not feel any type of way about it than it is to just deny yourself certain things because you know you've always got a friend who's trying to do something or you've always got a family member who's trying to do something or change something about themselves and it can Mm. be really really hard especially we're social beings we want to be liked we want to be loved um we want to be part of communities and one way of being part of a community is to behave alike or align your behaviors align your the way that you speak with other people so when people are being negative on themselves, then it's normal to want to be like, oh, I feel that too, or, oh, look at me, or, you know, but instead... I think it's an, 
Oh, sorry. Yeah, go for it. No, go for it. I, I think it's an interesting, um, I think it's a specifically interesting issue because of the, how closely interlinked it is between your like bodily functioning and the way you look. And I think that's what makes kind of eating disorders and eating problems such a, a kind of unique um, mental illness is because of how much they have to do with both the mental and the physical. Um, and I think that's why people find it so hard to divorce, um, to divorce like um, body, body functionality and how you feel with how you look. Um, and the rhetoric that's been spread in the pandemic to do with like overweight bodies being more susceptible to the, um, to kind of, to like getting ill basically with, with, the, with the coronavirus. Um, people find it hard to divorce that fact from the kind of societal fat phobia and propensity to dislike the look of fat bodies and what fat bodies represent. Um, so yeah, it's like there's this political sphere and then a, a kind of medical sphere that people um, tend to intertwine because they're so closely linked um, when they shouldn't be. And you know what as well, what's so interesting is that, so my mum's a doctor, so she she knows about the health side of things, but she said to me that in when she was in university, um, like it was completely normal to discriminate against certain bodies. Like it has literally been taught, and I don't think people get this, it is almost taught in a lot of medical schools and has been throughout the decades that this means this and that it's totally acceptable to say to a patient, oh, by the way, like unwarranted, unasked for, unprovoked, to comment on their weight. And that has kind of made people think it's okay if you're not a medical professional to do the same. But in fact, what I'm kind of seeing more of now and I'm hearing more about now with what my mum kind of briefly tells me is that she now doesn't comment on people's bodies unless they ask her okay well how can I improve this condition that I've got um is is you know my weight a factor in this and if so how can I how can I kind of improve that and only when they ask that question is she then giving that advice or you know if it's relevant to their condition and I think that's something that is super super important as well it's to make sure that we're not actually commenting on people people's weight because you cannot tell like you just shouldn't comment on appearance because you never ever know what someone is doing to their bodies to maintain that image or look that way you never know mm -hmm. what they're doing you never know if they've got a completely healthy lifestyle like a healthy relationship with food like whatever that even means <laughs> but like if they're say intuitive eating or whatever else you never know if that's the case or if they're restricting or if they're like you know excessively I mean, again, what does that mean? <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, I think it's so interesting because you never know what someone's putting their body through in order to maintain the image that they're giving off. And therefore you shouldn't, because your positive or negative reinforcement of that can affect how frequently they do that or what they're doing to their body and can actually make them do it more. And that's something that you need to be, I think everyone needs to be aware of is that, you just shouldn't comment on people's weight. Like, it's just not- Yes, what you, what you were kind of touching on there is, uh, Sonia Renee Taylor wrote quite a kind of pinnacle, um, pivotal work in the body positivity movement um, called My Body Is Not An Apology. And her whole thing from my understanding of it is, is like, um, it's not just about loving yourself, but taking yourself out of the whole culture of 
um, self-hatred. So that's not comparing yourself to anyone else, not hating other people's bodies for being a certain way and removing yourself completely. Um, and what I found interesting is she has asked kind of rhetorically, um, if everybody, if everyone's okay, if everyone's beautiful, then how do I define my self-worth? You have to completely remove yourself from the whole act of comparison completely. It's, it's like a way of establishing, I guess, hierarchies in society um, and a way of valuing yourself that um, I think is completely like mis-centred, basically. Yeah, 100%. And, and I think as well, something that a lot of people don't realise is that even if you're on like a self-love body positivity journey and you seem to other people, like so many people always say, oh, Nadia, like, you know, how did you get to the stage? Like what? But it's, it's genuinely just like, you don't understand that we all have days where we feel and look like shit. Like we do. And, or we feel like we look like shit, even if we might not to anyone else. And I think that's what people don't get is that you don't wake up every day going, I love my life. I love my body. And you're singing it from the rooftops. Like you just live and you just get on with it. And like, I think that's something that is, because it seems to people that people are like, oh, it's going to take so much energy out of me to like behave this way or change my behavior or do this or do that. But actually it's all about unlearning the negative rather than trying to teach yourself a whole new way of thinking it's actually just about unlearning the negative um and also respecting your feelings but not allowing yourself to get completely wrapped up in them if you know what I mean I don't know if that makes any sense but like allowing yourself to feel positive about your body if you feel positive about your body feel negative about your body for that, you know, hour or maybe couple of hours and then try and think, do you know what? No, I'm grateful to my body for this, you know, and and, and trying to shift the narrative in your own head because it, this starts and ends with self-awareness. And then also your own self-awareness affects other people's awareness. So their awareness of themselves. If you speak to yourself kindly, other people might be able to speak to themselves more kindly because they'll be inspired by what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, what I found groundbreaking when I first went to therapy as a little kind of ill teen um, was just how to, like the kind of detachment from your thoughts, the way they treated it so medically when I'd always kind of really synonymized myself with my mental state. Um, we kind of learned the way that you can like acknowledge thoughts without like acting on them. Um, and that's something I've used for like my whole life now. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I guess I'd never really thought about it in that way before. It's like, um, you do have more control over, I guess, your, like, not your thoughts, but how you kind of respond to them than I guess I thought, um, which might sound like a really obvious point. But I think if you've never explored that in therapy before, um, it, it can be quite like <laughs> revolutionary, I guess. No, I think it is. I think it is because what people don't understand as well is we have become so accustomed to controlling our thoughts feelings emotions because we all we have to put on a front to be able to get through the day if you know what I mean so whether you work whether you study um whether you you know you have your own thing that you do at home whatever that may be 
we have to get through the day. We usually have certain tasks that we either need to get done, whether it's cleaning around the house or whether it's in, in our jobs. And what we have to do is suppress how we actually feel. And, and what happens is when you actually allow yourself to reflect on how you feel, you then have power over what you do with those feelings. And sometimes it can overwhelm you. Sometimes it underwhelms you. Sometimes you think you feel so much inside and you try and cry and you can't. <laughs> and I think what's so interesting is that it's become normalized to suppress those feelings, to talk about productivity and be like, yeah, we're going to be so productive today. I'm going to do this and this, but at what cost? You know, what are you sacrificing in terms of your mental health or your, you know, anything about you to get those jobs done all in the name of like the capitalist machine <laughs> that we live in? Like, do you know what I mean? And I think it's about thinking about what is costing your mental health? What is benefiting your mental health and trying to do more of what benefits you like my favorite thing to do like I will never ever stop going on about how beneficial it is that I make my bed on a morning like <laughs> even if I'm in a rush I have to make my bed she loves it she loves I it. love to make my bed but it's because it's then good. I know that's one thing even if I do nothing else that day that's one little thing that I've achieved and that means that when I go back into bed on an evening it's fresh. Like, I know that sounds so weird, but it makes me excited to go back to my bed, like, and to get the sleep that I need in order to be able to get up the next day, if you know what I mean. And it's mm -hmm. a basic need, but, and it's something that's really small, but it's something that makes me feel so good and ready for the day. And it gets you off on the right footing. I, I find it with like breakfast. Mm -hmm. I'm obsessed with breakfast. Best meal of the day. Can't tell me otherwise. Um, <laughs> and yeah I, I like to just like take my time I mean obviously I can't do this all the time but nice little bowl of porridge get your nut butter on there get your banana get your like just maple syrup like douse the whole thing it's like this yeah it's a nice little ritual to do um a hundred percent and I think that's it. it whatever makes you feel good like even if it's making your bed even if it's lighting a candle like even if it's just laying in silence in the dark for 10 minutes like whatever makes you feel good like just make more time for that and you soon find that whatever your the way that you treat yourself is how you will start to expect other people to treat you and want other people to treat you and I think self-care and self-love is an absolute key to trying to unlearn the negative things about your body and about negative self-talk because if you're not fulfilling your basic needs and your basic desires, your basic wants, then you're going to struggle to do all the rest of it. If you know what I mean? I think, I think it's well, it's worth acknowledging that we are living in quite an abnormal society trying to be normal, which means it isn't, it isn't just as easy as being like, well, I'm not going to engage in that because you see it everywhere yeah. every day and it and it can and it's like all these different messages coming in at the same time. It's like, how do you navigate that? Um, so I think it's it's worth being compassionate, but also remembering that like intuitive eating is lovely, but it's hard when we've got all these like hyper kind of salty foods that like are kind of designed for, for us to like basically binge on them. Um, and all these like kind of like social media algorithms like design, <laughs> designed to like get us hooked onto certain ideas and concepts. Um, so yeah, just, I, I guess what's worked for me um, and what's helped the most is in the moments where I've been with other people or so immersed in life that it's just not important anymore. And you find that in those meaningful moments, like little things like your body 
and uh like when the moments when they're not getting in the way can be quite revolutionary um and just change the way you think and it's kind of like I don't know I remember when I was recovering it was just so all-consuming all the time this very little tiny world of like what I'm eating like how many calories I'm eating just that was my whole world um and I like I remember the first time I just didn't think about what I was gonna have for lunch or like I I just wasn't like concerned with what I was having for dinner and that was like oh my god like it, this whole new concept of like doing other things in my day um was quite amazing so I think yeah um finding purpose I guess um finding purpose in life outside of your body um is key yeah I 100% agree and I think as well to allow yourself to not just be compassionate to yourself but also to exactly as you were saying like accept yourself it's not always about loving yourself but it's about accepting yourself but it's about accepting that your life is so much greater than this one small part of you if you know what I mean and as much as that's what other people see and that's what other people think about it's not what other people um like will actually value you for no one's gonna have you around for life or like as a friend because they think you know the way that you look is interesting <laughs> like people have you for your mind and for you know your opinions and your personality and I think yeah I think that's something that is quite important as well but yeah so do you think we have come to some sort of natural end is there anything that you feel like we see need that to way I feel like yeah we basically just wanted to like just provide some context um for the rest of the campaign about our own some journeys with this why we're doing it and the kind of history of the movement so and I hope that this has been some sort of interest and that you've learned a little bit more about the movement because I think it's something that is so common today you don't realize it always realize it did have like a kind of starting point so yes so it has been wonderful this first episode and Thank you so much for listening and we're excited for the next one. Have a lovely day. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Bye.